You are welcome to the Johnny Fallon podcast once again. The heady rush of vote counting is now a fading memory as the political parties deal with the fallout. This week, we saw party leaders rule out the probable and rule in the impossible, all in the name of giving us the government we deserve. But what are the options for each party now? What are they facing and what can they do? Most importantly, what is the likely result of each possible combination for the long term and will there be a price to pay? Stick with me and we will examine all the pros and cons of each permutation as the country fumbles its way to government formation. First of all, let me start by thanking you all once again for tuning in over the last number of weeks to the podcast and for all of your feedback, advice, suggestions. It's all really deeply appreciated, along with all the debate we have had along the way. Um, just want to alert you as well to an upcoming sub-series of the podcast that we are going to kick off with from the 1st of March, which is going to be a little bit of an examination perhaps of how we all ended up here because countries change a lot due to elections and they are the seminal moments and, and we hear so much about how different elections change the landscape. So we're going to look at that and from the 1st of March we're going to launch a new series looking at each individual election of what might be called the modern age and that starts in 1977 when we have the first really modern election of our times. What were the influences on the parties? What were they thinking? How did we get there? How did we end up with those results each along the way that helped to shape and make society? Ultimately, giving us a picture of how we've ended up in 2020 with the political landscape that we have. So please do watch out for that uh, from the 1st of March. I know I'm really excited. It's a project I've wanted to do for some time and I think there's so much uh, interesting stuff in there in those elections to be gleaned and learned from what has happened. Getting on to the subjects at hand, this week has been a really interesting week for Irish politics because we are looking at something that is probably going to shape Irish politics for a long, long time to come. And what you're witnessing now is one of those moments where decisions are being made by a small few people. Once they're elected, they have to make those decisions, but those decisions will have implications for a long, long time to come. And that's what can change the political landscape, even more so sometimes than the election result itself. And we're going to look at why that is so important. So let's start at the beginning with the party who won the lion's share of the vote uh, at the election. And that was, of course, Sinn Féin. Now, they've had a little bit of a, a roller coaster ride because when you win an election and when you get there, those those early days of the votes coming in and you're hoisting everybody up on the shoulders and you're looking at the quotas tumble out onto the tables and there's the celebrations after and there's the talk of the breakthroughs and it's an amazing feeling. 
And then within a couple of days, it all begins to dissipate and it all begins to get down to the nitty gritty. And then you begin to say, well, what does the result mean for us? What's going to happen now? And that's when it gets a little bit more complex. And then you begin to think, you begin to have visions of one thing happening, like going into government, and then you see that maybe drift away again. So how did we get to that point for Sinn Féin, I guess? Well, they started off, and, and, and look, let's, let's talk, because I want to talk with each party, maybe some of the things they've done right, and some of the things they've done wrong within that. Sinn Féin got off to uh, a, a great start having the result behind them, but a couple of things went wrong. There was the, the, the things like, you know, the last thing they really needed was the stuff like the David Cullinan and Up the Ra and things like that coming out. It just didn't help the mood music around at the time because those who would support the idea of going in with Sinn Féin are still a little bit nervous and they, they though, and I'm talking about the people in the other parties, they needed a bit of hand-holding and they needed someone to reach out to them and say, it's okay if you support going in with us, that's okay. The people around you who are saying, no, you know, don't go in with them, we're going to give you the offer here that you can you can trust. And I don't think things like what happened with David Cullinan really helped that move music. It left people in Fianna Fáil or indeed Fine Gael or other parties going, are we sure? Or, you know, and other people within those parties are saying, see, I told you so, they can't be trusted. That was, you know, for a party that does have such good control normally, that was, I think, a disappointing start for them. And, and on a few issues like that where it just got out of hand. But... Other than that, they then started into doing what would seem like a reasonably good strategy from, from Sinn Féin, which was to say, OK, we're going to talk to the other parties on the left uh, and explore the, the, the possibilities. And that seemed like a normal, good, you know, kind of thing you do to buy time. Um, and I think Sinn Féin probably did that with the idea that, OK, we're going to need a day or two to let everything sink in results wise for people. Um, and that will help for everyone to, to, to get to grips with what's happened. And then we get into the serious business. But of course, um, what they did there was open the door to a little bit of game playing by the other political parties. Uh, and what I mean is, I think if we had this over, or Sinn Féin had this over again, they should have skipped that from day one. They did know uh, by throughout the course of Monday, this thing came out that we're going to talk to the parties on the left as, as a time buying exercise. But Sinn Féin really knew on the Monday that was never going to work. In fact, everybody knew. And the other parties are being quite cynical about the way they've approached this thing of, oh, you know, why don't they continue talking to independents? Everybody knew, the public knew that you that was never really an option. The numbers just do not add up. But I think if Sinn Féin had it over, they should have avoided that step because they did start saying from Tuesday morning, look, you know, the numbers aren't there. You know, we can't really form a government of the left because it wouldn't be a government of the left. It would be a government of everything and anything just trying to get numbers to keep Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael out, which would probably only be counterproductive in the long run. So that idea was never really on the table. And I think if the Sinn Féin had it over again, they probably would have said that straight away after the count and pushed for the other parties to get to the table straight away um, and not have given them that, that stick to beat Sinn Féin with. But they did it 
believing, as it was, maybe that it was reasonable that the other parties were going to play ball in some way and were not going to be quite as much game-playing and cynical approach to it as it has ended up. And I suppose some would say, welcome to senior hurling. You know, you think people are going to play at their word. This is big-time politics and people don't play at their word. They just do what they like to get one up on you. Um, and maybe Sinn Féin would have done the same uh, in, in different circumstances. So, look, that was the first step that kind of put them a little bit. The few days were lost, a few days when maybe the pressure was on, when Michal Martin had seemingly opened the door on the Sunday to respecting the decision of the people, and then it seemed to evaporate in a couple of days. Now, I did say, if you were going to do this, and I was going to do this, I said at the last podcast, you do it quick, you do it fast, you move before people organise, because there are so many cabals in politics, there are so many little groups within parties who are all struggling for control of a party. And the longer you give them, the more ability they have to organise against you. And the more ability they have to just block off what it is you're trying to do. And that's one of the problems here. You cannot, you cannot hope to to do something like this over a long period of time. Because if you do, other people organise and they just manage to cut you off. And it was one of the pieces of advice I once got from Albert Reynolds. And he said to me, You have to do what you believe, either in business or in politics. You get stuck in, you make the changes quick, don't hang about, and with any luck, you'll get most of what you need through before some other shower organised to stop you. And that was what he believed. And it stuck with me as something that's so true in politics. There is a certain need for speed within doing decisions on it, because the longer you leave things to fester among these little cabals, the longer decisions get warped and changed. And I do think, certainly within Fianna Fáil, what was a slight door opening got firmly slammed shut by a group who are determined that they did not want to work with Sinn Féin, and then Sinn Féin got shut out very, very quickly. And and the lack of speed there early on probably cost that. Now, Sinn Féin, of course, still do have some options, because at the moment they're struggling now, to see government as as an option. One of the things that I, I find interesting here, and I think it's important in trying to understand Sinn Féin, because not enough is done when we talk on these things. You know, everybody talks about the, the background to the politics of it. And I don't think we spend enough time really trying to get inside the head of political parties, politicians, and what it is that they're doing and thinking at any given time. And for me... You've got to understand why or what drives Sinn Féin in this moment, at this time. And there has been talk that, you know, Sinn Féin love opposition and they really want opposition and that's their aim. And there was a lot of that talk. I think there, a lot of those commentators were taken off guard by the, the, the will which Sinn Féin showed to actually go into government. And for me, that's not surprising because... Things change within parties. And right now, Sinn Féin are trying to deal a little bit, actually, with the disappointment that they may not be in government after this election. Now, I think when that dissipates, as we'll see when I look at some of the permutations here, there's a big advantage to them being in opposition, a huge advantage. It will be a massive positive consolation prize. But right now, 
they want to be in there. And they want to be in there because they do actually believe that whatever about Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael being in separately, I think they have a genuinely probably not incorrect view of the two parties, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, that over the years, Fine Gael were centre-right and Fianna Fáil absolute centrists. Um, but because of that, if Fine Gael were in with Labour, Fine Gael got pulled a little bit, it tempered their right-wing tendencies. Um, Fianna Fáil could go in Labour and were pulled a little bit to the left. Fianna Fáil went in with the Progressive Democrats and they were pulled very much to the right. So these parties tend to get pulled in the direction of their coalition partners. And Sinn Féin have had this view that if you let both of them in together, they are going to pull right because Fine Gael is the one that's slightly more ideological. When you're centrist, it's harder to steer a course. So Fianna Fáil have enough people on the right to be pulled well to the right. And what you're going to end up with is a very strongly right-wing government. You can put the Greens in there, yes, now, but that's been Sinn Féin's fear with these parties. And, and, and I think it's a genuinely held fear for them. Whether or not those parties agree with it is another thing, but that's where Sinn Féin fears this is going to go. Now, if you look at it, Sinn Féin have also had this view that it's time for them to be in government. It's time to get in there. For those within the party, and, and again, sometimes people looking at parties, they forget this, that when you're in a party, you do actually believe in the party. You believe that they're going to do things. You believe in the policies you're going to implement. You believe that you are making a positive impact on society. Nobody actually within a political party is cynically sitting around going, yeah, well, we don't do anything. We're just here for the crack and the power and the seats and the... Or, no, in every political party, people are in there and they work their asses off within those political parties because they believe that they're making a positive difference. So Sinn Féin right now do honestly believe that they could make that difference in government and that they would change society. Now we can all cynically look and go, yeah, yeah, you think that, all parties think that, and then they don't. But let everybody have their idealism. Sinn Féin believes that right now. And that's why they do actually want to be in government. So is there a route to it? Uh, it's difficult to see right now because there seems to be a real rush on the Grand Coalition option, which we'll examine later. But that rush on that Grand Coalition option has now gathered momentum and it would seem that there is more work going on behind the scenes than many have uh, perhaps expected. Just interesting this morning too, because the Sunday Business Post has also run a poll on the options for government and what would people would like. And there's a tie between 28% who say Sinn Féin leading a coalition of other parties from the left, now, we know it doesn't have the numbers, but 28% of people believe that's what they'd like to see. And the other 28% uh, believe that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, uh, leading a grand coalition would be their option. So those two are tied, 28%. The public are, 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 are agreed they're the two top options. Then you have 21% who believe that Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil should be in coalition with some kind of rotating Taoiseach. Um, and then 16% preferring another election and 6% saying none of these. So when you put all of those out, 
uh, another 7% undecided. When you, when you tot those up, what does that tell you? It tells you the electorate doesn't really know. Uh, nobody is getting right behind any kind of idea of, of what should be in government or what kind of government they definitely want to see. The warning I would give as regards polls and reading too much into them is that for a lot of these, people change their mind. I mean, people decide that, you know, today I want the Grand Coalition. But tomorrow, you give me one guarantee from Sinn Féin on something, and all of a sudden I'll be supporting the Fianna Fáil Sinn Féin uh, idea, because that looks better today. Maybe there's just something I thought would be part of that deal, like the rotating Taoiseach, that won't be, and therefore I swap sides. Or people who today support a Fianna Fáil Sinn Féin or uh, a Sinn Féin-led uh, government of the left suddenly say, oh, hold on, I'm going to get something really good out of that government with Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael. Oh, no, that sounds a much better option. So it's very fluid. And it's dangerous to make decisions on polls because it is politicians' job to lead. You know, at this point, this is where they earn their stripes. They've got to lead and they've got to take decisions about leadership. So Sinn Féin now find themselves in here, and, and Pat Leahy uh, wrote a good piece where he talked about the idea that Sinn Féin, at this stage, does not have a divine right to be in government and to have power, uh, you know, just because it got slightly more of the vote. And he's right on that, and, and everybody does have to accept it is perfectly okay for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael to get together, given that they ha- the numbers add up, uh, and form a government with, say, the Greens or someone else, that, that the, the numbers are there. Therefore, it's perfectly legitimate government. I would say, and I'm going to talk about that option later, you have to ask about the political antennae in it. Because it's not just about can you do something, it's should you do it, will it work out in the long run in terms of the mood of people. But mathematically it's possible, Theoretically, it's possible, and democratically, it's possible, so therefore it has to be there. Now, Sinn Féin may have ex- felt that, look, the numbers are there, we've got the, the, everything behind us, we got to go with this. You should let us into government. And they probably are feeling quite frustrated and left outside at the moment. What can they do in the remaining week for Sinn Féin? Well, if they want to get to government... They have still got a couple of cards to play. One is, uh, I think, Mary Lou Macdonald have to talk to the Green Party, and I'm going to look at their position in a little while, but she's going to have to talk to the Green Party. Um, if there's a chance of scuppering the alternative coalition, it is in Mary Lou Macdonald being able to convince the Greens that they are better off not getting into bed with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael that their survival or their policies will be much better off in some kind of more left-leaning alliance and that whether that comes about via a second election, and she would have to be very open with them about that, that if they, they choose this path, the second election is likely, but that either through a second election or through convincing either Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael to sit down and talk, that it's possible that they need to be part of that rather than going in with two parties who are on a downward trend. If Mary Lou could convince the Greens of that and the Greens could sign up to that and say, look, no, we're not going into that option. This has to be more left wing. 
we think, you know, people are being ignored here and all of those kind of things, then possibly the Grand Coalition could yet be scuppered by that idea. Um, the other thing Mary Lou has uh, within her armory, I think it's probable at this stage for Sinn Féin to ignore Fianna Fáil now and say, look, take them at their word. They don't want to go into government. They don't want to even talk to us. Fine. And leave it out and say, look, we're not going chasing them. And that's, that's, that's a reasonable position, particularly from an opposition perspective. It depends on what Sinn Féin actually believe they can and should achieve in government because the other side to it is government's going to involve now a lot of compromise and particularly a fair bit of compromise from Sinn Féin. Now, I think they can pull their members with them, but it's how well you do that. Now, the only way I can see that there could be a spanner in the works um, other than that for, for the Grand Coalition that Sinn Féin could do is to surprise either Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. And when I say surprise them, I mean they would have to throw down an offer that the others didn't see coming. Uh, that would have to be an offer that possibly is a lot of the things that maybe mean more to these parties about positions and power, while Sinn Féin are determined, if you take them at their word, to talk about policy. They've said clearly, McCarthy said during the week, look, Taoiseach is not a red line as to who's Taoiseach. It's not a red line as particular ministries. You know, we're open to talking about these things because we want to deal with issues, not take... Now, if you take all that at, a, at their word, then Sinn Féin could be in a position to say to these parties, to whom these things do mean something, hold on, just before you rush in there to your new deal, here's what we were offering you. Here's our opening play for government. And whether you do that publicly or whether you do it privately through maybe some sources you know, who might be friendly or towards you within the parties, I don't know. It would be a gamble, but it could open the door. I mean, if, if Fianna Fáil are going in with Fine Gael and they have rotating Tishi, they've exact same number of cabinet posts, they have lost some very senior positions in government, um, such as finance or whatever like that, to Fine Gael, uh, and then you suddenly put out something that seems a lot more reasonable to those Fianna Fáil parliamentarians that says Fianna Fáil could have the Taoiseach, Fianna Fáil could have a few more ministries and Fianna Fáil could have these key ministries that they like and here are the ones we're kind of insisting on such as housing and health and, and a few others on, on that, that we want. But it's a reasonable offer. Now if Sinn Féin were to do that, that could put a spanner in the works because Fianna Fáil are divided, which we'll talk about later, about they're unsure about where this path they're taking but willing to take it. So Sinn Féin still have a card to play there. Or could Sinn Féin turn around and say, you know what, to hell with Fianna Fáil, let's offer that to Fine Gael. Now, I think that's harder for them to do because I don't think they really believe people want to see Fine Gael in government. But maybe Sinn Féin, as this party of change who got this vote, could convince the people. Could Sinn Féin bring enough people with them to say, look, this isn't what we wanted, but we had to work with one of these two. And Fianna Fáil were completely unreasonable. So it ended up being a little bit like it was in the debates where Mary Lou said, you know what, I can actually work with Leo Varadkar, as she said. Could she? Could she actually go full 180 here and kind of say, do you know what, yeah, we are bringing Fine Gael back in, but you know what, this will be changed because we're there this time. 
Well, what a nose-rubbing that would be if uh, Fianna Gael ended up going back into government on a reasonable terms with uh, Sinn Féin. Uh, but, of course, Fianna Gael have ruled it out. Um, the only difficulty being, you know, now for Fianna Gael, they have also said they will, they don't want the second election. They're going to do everything they can to prevent that. But ultimately, um, that's where Sinn Féin now find themselves at. And if they don't decide to play some kind of game like that and say, right, let's give you the offer, and they decide, well, hold on, that would be maybe us giving up too much just to get into government, then they've just got to wait and see, and they've got to sit it out um, and let these government talks go on without them. If that happens, and let's just say for a moment that the Grand Coalition option then becomes real, there will be an initial period here for Sinn Féin of great disappointment because they were really feeling that they were banging on the door of government, that this was it, this was the moment. There will be some fear, of course, that this was a swing to Sinn Féin, but that swing could be gone and, you know, maybe the moment will be passed. That's also quite possible. Now, one of the rules of typical swing votes is that they do disappear, but they will probably disappear less if you have been thwarted in getting into government. Once you're in government, it is much harder to hold on to them. Being in government, though, is better for the long, long term, but in the short to medium term, you're going to lose a few more votes in by being in uh, a government. So Sinn Féin might be looking at this and saying, well, you know what, if we're in opposition... It's likely there's a good few of those people are going to say, well, the policies we actually believe Sinn Féin are going to implement, it's not that they aren't implementing them, it's not that they're not allowed to implement them because they haven't been put in government. So those voters may well stick with Sinn Féin. There's certainly a sizable portion of them. There is a view that, you know, and, and I'll come to what might happen for the government parties, if you like, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, if they form that current coalition. But right now, focusing on Sinn Féin, what does that mean for them uh, in terms of if they end up in opposition? They end up as leaders of the opposition. This isn't a bad result at all. I mean, we all know if there's a second election, Sinn Féin probably are the most confident of that, um, that they can, they can win seats, they can win more seats. Uh, particularly if it's on the back of, look, we tried but nobody talked to us, you need to give us just even a slightly stronger mandate, that'll force them to the table. So the second election probably doesn't hold as much fear for them as it would for other parties. However, Sinn Féin are in opposition would be very attractive. When the dust settles and the disappointment in not being in government settles down with them, Mary Lou MacDonald as leader of the opposition. This isn't going into the same opposition they've been in before. This is different. This would be Mary Lou MacDonald leading questions at, at, at Taoiseach's questions. This would be Mary Lou MacDonald laying out the alternative. She would have a clear path to now paint. They've already for a long time painted Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael as being the same. Now, if you've listened to this podcast, I've told you they're not the same. They haven't been the same. Culturally, they're not the same. But if they go into government, they're going to lose a certain amount of those things that make them different. They have to. And that's the danger. They are thin lines, but they're important ones. But if you lose them, you become the same. It becomes an easy narrative for Sinn Féin to paint the picture that what we have now is a right-wing government. 
propped up by the Greens, who are just also rams, who Sinn Féin will hammer day in, day out for selling out, for betraying the environment, for betraying their own constituents, for betraying the left. The Greens are going to become the absolute focus of all the Exocet missiles because what Sinn Féin will do from that point is say, look, we knew Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael were always going to do this. That's what they do. We expect that from the right-wing side. But you, the Greens, the great big hope, the people who are going to look after things, left-wing ideology coming out, caring about the environment, and this is what you give us? The Greens will be absolutely bombarded day after day with one missile after another putting pressure on them and how they have sold everything out. It is really hard to withstand that. And Sinn Féin will be able to paint that picture and say, look, there is an alternative government and there is possibly a left-wing government and there is possibly a swing to the left if you come here. And for a while, it will create. So people have talked about this before. Would it create left-right politics? No, it won't, because over time, you will end up with two centrist parties anyway. But it will, for a moment, give people at least the illusion of we're shouting left versus right and we're shouting all this at each other, even though you know reality might be different. But Sinn Féin could game. There will be a certain fall-off that I'll explain within Fianna Fáil's vote um, that will, at that moment of going into government, drift and Sinn Féin will look like a very attractive home for that vote. Um, and Sinn Féin will probably be able to rise in opposition to becoming a party that says, look, real government that we can actually lead the next time out, that we can... And you know what, when Sinn Féin are at this point, we talk about the media pressure is going to come on them, but they're also going to be a lot more normalised over the next couple of years, particularly in opposition. That wouldn't be a bad... Tough to be in government right now on the back of just zooming in to that position. Opposition, though? Now, that allows a period of adjustment. You're not there taking every decision with the microscope on you every day. Now you can calm down. Now you can hold on to that and you can adjust to the new media reality. You can adjust to the new scrutiny. You can get things sorted. It will be a lot harder to adjust to that in government. But in opposition, they can gradually adjust to that and they will have errors and mistakes, but they won't matter as much as if they were making these errors and mistakes in government. And therefore, opposition has to now look like, while it's a consolation prize today, something very attractive for them in that medium term. They want government. They want being there. They need government just for those really long-term aims. But right now, if all they can get, if they've been thwarted on government, opposition looks good and they will immediately start preparing for local elections. And local elections that I was I will explain when I look at the other parties, local elections that were probably going to be hugely positive for Sinn Féin because people need an opposition. We like balance. We do not like one side having all of the power. And at local level, that's what would transpire here. And now Sinn Féin could be really, really the best thing for them would be that the government would last a few years and they'd actually get to a point where they could say, yes, get to local elections. We should have a mass, particularly in rural constituencies. That's where the focus will now be for Sinn Féin wiping out the places like Longford, Roscommon, 
uh, Leitrim, all of those kind of places, Limerick, Waterford, Kilkenny, Carlow, all of those constituencies are where they look at local government and say, we can make big gains here because these guys are now all on the one side. And if they do that, they build a breeding ground for real candidates to come through and fight a general election, putting them on an exceptional war footing. So all in all, uh, Sinn Féin have options here. They do want to get into government. There are some routes that might still transpire for them by simply getting around some of the people who are, let's say, friendlier to them in some of the parties. But it's a long road. And if it doesn't work out, opposition is not going to be the worst thing that ever happened to this Sinn Féin party. So looking across at the other parties, let's start with Fianna Fáil. Um, because this has been a really exciting week for them, um, uh, for at least some within the party. It has been an interesting week and they are probably at one of the most important and groundbreaking decisions the party has made in a century. Um, and there's a lot that has to be talked about and will be talked about for months and years to come. Um, about the decisions they're taking. So let's go back to the Sunday uh, for a moment when Michal Martin said he would respect the decision of the people. He would, of course, examine it and look at it and seem to open the door. And for a moment, there was a brief hope. And that hope was largely based around the fact that, look, if you actually do want a stable government, one of the things that you need as an ingredient for a stable government is, of course, the numbers. And there weren't many options there at the numbers. Really, it had to be Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin and probably the Greens or this idea of maybe a grand coalition, but that was being pushed back. The problem for Fianna Fáil was Fianna Fáil had guaranteed and promised voters, number one, it would not talk to Sinn Féin, yes, but it has also promised and guaranteed voters it would not talk to Fine Gael. Now, Fianna Fáil has promised that for the last century. Indeed, as late as 2016, Fianna Fáil was saying, if you want to get rid of Fine Gael, the only guaranteed option of getting rid of Fine Gael is to vote Fianna Fáil. That that is the only way, and that is how they have stood apart. They withstood enormous pressure from the media in 2016 to form a grand coalition. Um, they avoided it through confidence and supply, paid a little bit of a price on the whole confidence and supply thing because they, they handled confidence and supply badly. They got stuck in it for far too long. It was always, should always have only been about an 18-month or two-year arrangement. They got stuck into something longer term. That's what cost them. But that had to help them avoid the media pressure. Now, this time, there was no media pressure. There was no The media weren't forcing them running to grand coalition. That wasn't where they were at. There was a kind of an acceptance of, of the numbers. And Fianna Fáil are the ones who brought this on the table and put it out there. And that has surprised many people as to why a party that has guaranteed and promised for so long that this was the way to keep Fine Gael out of power is now going to be the one to put them into power. So no matter what, there is a going back on the word here. So let's start with that. And that was a problem on the Sunday Michal Martin faced because 
he was breaking a promise no matter what. He had promised that neither of these parties he was going to talk to, he was going to have to talk to one or other of them. Uh, which is the fallacy, of course, of making such promises and guarantees and blanket things. But he opened the door a little bit. Then, over the course of the following days, things changed. And suddenly, that hardline view of Sinn Féin resurrected again. Why did that happen? Why did it become something that almost had a glimmer of hope and then got slammed shut by the time that a parliamentary party meeting? Why are there some TDs who are saying, well, I'm kind of not all that on for this grand coalition, but, you know, it's where the leadership are going and I'm not confident enough in that Sinn Féin would be a good idea to go against it. And that's the nub of the problem. Not everybody in Fianna Fáil is convinced. It talked about the parliamentary party meeting being quiet. Of course it was. No one's going to speak up against a leader who is definite in their opinion or a number of people in leadership positions who are definite in their opinion on what has to happen. When you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm not definite we should go in with Fine Gael. I might even prefer the idea of Sinn Féin and exploring it. But I'm not definite that would work out either. So I'm not going to hang my hat and commit political suicide by going against the leader completely if I'm not 100% sure of the option. And that's been the difficulty that the parliamentary party has faced within this. Now, I can assume only one thing, that when the votes came in and got settled, there is a group within Fianna Fáil who definitely do not want Sinn Féin at any cost. And that's nothing to do with policy, although they talk about policy. It's not. It is a, a, a deep-seated dislike of Sinn Féin, a fear of Sinn Féin, a, a decision that Sinn Féin must be blocked. And anything that blocks Sinn Féin, even for a moment, is much better than anything that might facilitate them or work with them. Um, and that's something that I think managed to gain ascendancy in Fianna Fáil minds in those weeks and I think it forced Micheál Martin's hand into being very much in this position because Micheál Martin has been on time and time again since he became leader. Uh, he has uh, for a long time now in the last nine years made this case about Fianna Fáil's roots, its working class roots, its slightly left uh, of centre approach, all of those things down through its history. There is no way any of that is compatible when faced with, if you went back to any previous Fianna Fáil leader, they would look at this and say, look, looking purely on policies and what Fianna Fáil have done in the past as regards house building and public spending and social welfare and free education and uh, old age pensions and all of those spending things that Fianna Fáil have done that are on the left of the agenda, workers' rights, all of that kind of stuff that they've implemented. Any former leader would look and say, if we take out the names of parties, surely our party history is more inclined to the party that is Sinn Féin on this occasion than it is to Fine Gael. Um, and particularly in the current narrative that surrounds Fine Gael, whether that's fair or unfair, that you know the current narrative, Fianna Fáil have played into that current narrative of them being an elite and all that kind of thing. That might be unfair, but that's where the narrative has pushed them. It's very difficult to see how on a simple policy matters that is the case. However, what you've got to remember is that for some within Fianna Fáil, this isn't about policy. This is about a party they really intensely dislike. 
And I've said before, personality sometimes is a much bigger driver in politics than policy. And, and personality is harder to overcome. I think those same problems will exist with Fine Gael. I think we're in a bit of a honeymoon that this is all going to be great. We go in with Fine Gael, they're close to us. I think when these guys get into a room together, they're going to find an awful lot of bitter pills to start swallowing. And that's not going to be easy. But I'll come back to that in a minute. For now, looking at this, that's what happened for Fianna Fáil in those opening days. They managed to end up being, having an internal debate and having some groups that were for or against ideas, but one group vehemently against one idea, which was Sinn Féin. Uh, and that's pushed it because the others are undecided or unsure. Even John McGuinness and Eamon O'Keeve, who did speak up at the parliamentary party, they're not saying we want Sinn Féin and Sinn Féin are great, not by any stretch of the imagination. The best they're saying is let's talk and explore. Now, here's something interesting, because if you are playing this really smart, how does this all play out in the public at the moment? What Sinn Féin have managed to do is kind of say, look, we're the party that is interested in issues. They've been very strong on that line. Now, if you're a voter and that's all you're hearing, you're thinking, yeah, that's what I want. Decisive government, fed up with the last few years of, you know, inaction on the government, want someone to go out and do things. And Sinn Féin have, number one, come out with this idea that, you know, look, it's about the issues. The other parties are not getting ahead of that line. They are still looking at Sinn Féin and they're still laughing at how well they're outmaneuvering them. But I'm not quite sure that voters are sitting back believing this is good politics. I think you're going to have people sitting out there going, guys... <laughs> Why are we still doing political manoeuvring? Why aren't you talking about you won't go in because this won't deliver housing? That's that's the line Fianna Fáil need to be at. That, OK, we, Sinn Féin will not deliver the solutions to housing, but us and Fine Gael have the result. That's not what we're hearing. What we're hearing is just we're not going in with Sinn Féin. And the reasons for that, the policy reasons, are not really being properly explored other than blanket kind of stuff that, oh, it's crazy spending. And when you get into that crazy spending argument, you begin to sound a bit more right-wing than left-wing, which is not where Fianna Fáil want to be either on an ideological basis that they're arguing it out. So Fianna Fáil have allowed this narrative to develop and that's getting difficult for them because now Sinn Féin sound like the only ones talking about po policy, the only ones talking about the issues and the only ones saying, look, we're talking to anybody and we're being really reasonable here. It's not about positions. It's not about any of this stuff. It's about what can we do to solve the issues? That's a really good line. And it is a narrative and it is thought out and it is planned and it is a media savvy argument to reach voters. But it's it's really attractive and quite seductive. While Fianna Fáil, on the other hand, are looking like, yeah, we're pulling a fast one here. People didn't expect it. They didn't see it coming. And now we're going to thwart Sinn Féin. Is that really where you want to be at? Some people will clap you on the back and say, well done. Do you really think I'm struggling to see how the public will go? That was a brilliant, brilliant manoeuvre that we respect. I, I, I struggle to see how that's how they're going to change that narrative now that they've allowed it to develop because they're not getting off to a sound basis of communicating why on policy and issues this is such a better option. Um, so one of the things that you've got to look at now for Fianna Fáil is just how well the party gets on in these talks with, with Fine because they have happened a little bit at pace and I think members are, are being pulled along with it. They will go with it. Fianna Fáil tends to be loyal to the leader 
they will probably trust him to some degree within that. What's dangerous for them now, though, is that they never open the door on talks. And it would have been easy. And here's the thing that I suppose many commentators have pointed to. It's difficult to understand. Even if you believe these guys are completely ideologically opposed to you, even if you believe that there's nothing you can do with Sinn Féin, once Sinn Féin say, well, we're willing to negotiate on everything, we want to talk to you, you're kind of in a position where you've got to go talk. And why did Fianna Fáil keep saying, because this line, that number one, uh, and, and, and let me look at a couple of lines Fianna Fáil have used. First of all, they've been hammering home this line and it's a line coming from almost every member I've seen on Twitter, everybody I've seen, I've seen this coming across from Fianna Fáil time and time again. Mary Lou should just form a government of the left. That's what she wanted. Get on with it. Why have Sinn Féin given up on talking to the 30-odd independents? You know, governments are about taking time and talking and it takes a while to formulate. You know what, guys? That is a dead-in-the-water line. I think someone in Fianna Fáil thinks it's a really clever line. And it's a really smart, it's a disastrous line. Because as far as the public are concerned, the public are not fools about politics. They understand stuff like basic numbers. They may not be into the manoeuvrings and the behind the scenes and all of that kind of thing. But they understand basic stuff about numbers and what's up possible. They know the government of the left is not there. Mary Lou might have been a mis- made a mistake talking about that in day one still, but... For Fianna Fáil to be saying, well, she should spend the next few days talking to each individual independent. Nobody wants her to do that. People are bored of politicians who do that. They're bored of why it takes endless weeks and months to make a decision. And making a virtue out of how long you would spend talking to people who have no prospect of getting into government or working with you. It's a pointless exercise as far as regards the public are concerned. They're worried about their houses, their health service, the things. They want someone who's going to say, look, I will get on with it and deal with the reality. So making a virtue out of, well, we would have talked if it was us, of course. What we do in Mary Lou's position is talk to all 30 independents. Sinn Féin have actually managed. They're, they're, they're underlining how different Sinn Féin are. By coming out and when Sinn Féin say, look, there's no point going on with something that cannot form a stable government. You don't waste time. We need to get down to business here. And Fianna Fáil are actually, they keep pushing this line. Oh, well, that's what Sinn Féin wanted. But that actually sounds just so petty, so childish and so detached from the reality that Fianna Fáil must know is. And it's only there because it's covering off something which is, we want her to go away now because we're forming a government. And we're already doing our talks over here. And that's what we want to be allowed to get on with. They would be better come out and just say that than trying to push, oh, it's up to Mary Lou to do X, Y and Z. Let them talk about it. If you were going to do this Grand Coalition, then get on with it and tell us why you're doing the Grand Coalition. Stop talking about what Sinn Féin should be doing. But um, that's the first line that, 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 that's been pushed out time and time again on this. Then we've had the line that, you know, look, at they, there's just no talking to them. They're ideologically opposed to us. We could never meet. Uh, too many big differences. I'm not sure that that holds up to a real analysis of the manifestos, though there are some big gaps. But then when parties say they're willing to talk, you go talk to them. Now, it's easy for Fianna Fáil in this scenario to have gone down the road of saying, look, fine, we'll meet them. We'll talk to them. What are the issues they're not going to give on? We know what they are. We know where we're going to put a hard line. Say it's corporate tax or 
whatever about business we're going to put a hard line in there on that so we could agree all these bits over here fine but we're going to come to a nobody issue on this and we're going to end up breaking off talks at the very least if you do have a second election you have an issue to go to the people on and say look this isn't about not working with parties or being silly or not being reasonable this is about a piece of economic or social policy that will not work and we are going to tell you we have to fight on this. Maybe it's your rent freeze, maybe it's whatever. But fight on that policy then and explain why it is. At least you have an election that's narrowed down from the broad to the, 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 the narrow specifics that people can study on particular things. But Fianna Fáil didn't do that. Fianna Fáil have decided, no, we're not getting into it. Now, I find that strange because... There's an inconsistency here. And why is that? I mean, how do you get to be inconsistent? Well, you've got to look again at Fianna Fáil's history. And you've got to again come back to Fianna Fáil of the 1980s, Charles Haughey, arms trials, everything else. You know, this is a party that's always presented itself as a Republican, Republican party of the ordinary people. Therefore, there can't be that big of an ideological divide here, depending on how Fianna Fáil sees itself, although there is a big ideological divide from the point of view that not everybody in Fianna Fáil signs up to that, and I'll come to that in a minute. But that view means that you should be able to open the door. There was, and remember this, in Northern Ireland, and this has been one of the big weaknesses of both Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael's arguments for a long time, that they have wanted Sinn Féin in government in the north, but then say, well, it's different down here in the south. Now, when you go back to the early 1990s, and, 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 you know, many people forget this time now, people did not talk to Sinn Féin, and they did not talk to the unionist parties who, who were linked to paramilitary groups for the simple reason that we don't talk to terrorists, and we don't talk to people who are killing people, and there's only a certain group of civilised people allowed in the room for talks. And then it came down to somebody deciding it's about issues. And the issue here is that people are dying. And unless you stop people shooting with guns, other people, there's no point in everyone else having a high moral ground here. Someone has to get down and dirty and say, look, yeah, grubby as it might feel, I'm getting down here and I'm going to talk to these gunmen and see what the hell will it take to make them put down the guns. I mean, if someone broke into your house, and held you at gunpoint, would you be sitting there going, well, there's no point talking to you while you're holding a gun. I will ignore you. No, you'd say something to them. You know, I, you have to have at some point some idea of circumstance demands a break with your high moral value here. doesn't mean you give up your morals. doesn't give up mean you give up a view that they were wrong. But there's something. And, and that's what happened in the peace process. It was kind of case of, look, reality is... Both sides are killing each other. And us, for the last 20 years previous to that, having ignored them and kept them out, has not worked. And Fianna Fáil was the party above all others who led the way in that and brought Sinn Féin in. Now Fianna Fáil is getting uneasy that Jerry Adams is in the background of a photo. Jerry Adams, who they sat down with when he was very much still active IRA, and made the excuses to the British government as to why they needed to hold firm and not be so uneasy about what Gerry Adams was trying to do because he was trying to bring 
these paramilitaries with them. And it was Fianna Fáil made all that. It was Fianna Fáil opened that door. And Fianna Fáil who asked people in the north on the unionist side and nationalists when it came to loyalist paramilitaries to trust us. It'll all be better when people talk and sit round a table and you're not giving up anything here by sitting round and talking. It was Fianna Fáil that played an absolutely critical role. Bertie Hearn after in the, the Good Friday Agreement too. There was a huge amount. I mean, you know, there was the famous thing of, of, of Martin McGuinness saying to Brian Cowan during the Good Friday Agreement when Brian Cowan was Foreign Affairs Minister. Um, Martin McGuinness saying, well, look, before we... we make any decision on this agreement we have to go back to the ira army council we'd have to talk through see what their view is and that was normal in those times and brian cowan said to him look it there's a bathroom in the, there's a mirror in the bathroom go look in it in other words you are the army council but we were having those talks because it was about peace and it was about getting a dis- and now after all the journey and decommissioning and all the weapons being taken out and all of the changes that have happened, although there are still some serious reservations about things within Sinn Féin, that has to be remembered. But despite all that, we're now having a hissy fit about we can't be seen talking to these people. They're not normal. Other parties, we ask them to do it. There is an inconsistency there. And it's problematic for the public too. And it's problematic for younger voters. So... Why would Fianna Fáil be in a position that they would not even countenance talking and opening a door to it? And I have a view on this. And that view is that Sinn Féin, in their approach to the talks where they said they were quite reasonable, they were quite open. I think Fianna Fáil has feared here, or a group within Fianna Fáil feared they're going to do what happened to the Labour Party. And if you remember, the Labour Party in 92 sent across a document not expecting too much uh, from Fianna Fáil, but got back something from Martin Manzer, uh, who, who pioneered it at the time, which was pretty much giving them so much of their policy platform and such a, a, a reasonable offer, they could not afford to ignore it. And I think Fianna Fáil feared that if they opened a door with Sinn Féin, that's what was going to happen. They were going to go into talks and Sinn Féin were going to be far more reasonable than anybody was accounting for. They were going to offer Fianna Fáil things that Fianna Fáil... So Fianna Fáil had been saying, well, you can't have a, Fianna, you can't have a Sinn Féin Minister for Finance and Minister for Justice and uh, Taoiseach. It would be all wrong. What if Sinn Féin, though, what was the risk for Fianna Fáil? I think the fear within Fianna Fáil was... What if Sinn Féin said, OK, you can have finance, you can have justice and you can have Taoiseach because you know what? We're only going to get a whole load of abuse for having those positions. But we want health, social welfare, housing. We want business and enterprise. We want foreign affairs. They're all ones that would have been reasonable for Fianna Fáil to give up and say, OK, we give you them, but we've the other ones. Defence as well for Fianna Fáil. I mean... But they keep putting the line, oh, this is what Sinn Féin would want. But they never found out. They keep saying, is ideologically, we could never bridge the divide. How do you know? Unless you've actually asked them. And that is my belief that there was a fear there that if Sinn Féin were reasonable, then there was a group within Fianna Fáil who would have said, hold on, that's the future right there. That's our option. Let's go with them. And they didn't want to open that door. 
and that door had to remain firmly shut. If you open it a bit, these guys were going to sneak in, they were going to outmaneuver us at negotiations, give us something that our membership would like, and therefore we'll be on the back foot and we'll be forced into government with them. And for a small group at the top, the ultimate aim is that Sinn Féin must not be in government at any price. And therefore, you couldn't talk to them. And it's the only idea that makes any sense, because otherwise Fianna Fáil in a previous age would certainly have been canny enough to decide, yes, well, we'll go in here, we keep up appearances, we need to be able to show willing, we show willing, but then we prove why we're incompatible by finding the policy issues in which we walk out on, and Sinn Féin will walk out on, and we can even force Sinn Féin to walk out on. Then it's not our fault. Uh, it's certainly something you could imagine Bertie Ahern doing, um, but didn't happen. Fianna Fáil was going to be ultra-principled, even if that upholding that principle meant we go back on another principle, which is that we would keep Fine Gael out of power. Um, and now let me come to why that may be going on within Fianna Fáil and why this is, 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 I suppose, dangerous for them and why they're trying to manage it here. Fianna Fáil now has the opportunity to say, right, we go in with Fine Gael. And what are the, the advantages of that? Well, there's a couple of ones that are make it so attractive. First of all, Fianna Fáil managed to uphold a position that being anti-Sinn Féin and anti-any kind of slight democratic dubiousness they have about Sinn Féin. Again, okay, I know people are saying, but look at Fianna Fáil's history when they came into it. And yes, but the current party is very much moved on from that and sees themselves differently at the top. So therefore, you have Fianna Fáil saying, OK, that's our position. Now, Fianna Fáil has always had a, a, a dividing line on Sinn Féin, some people willing to work with them, some people not. Even, as I mentioned, I talked about that peace process stuff, and when I went back, not everybody in Fianna Fáil would be agreed at that time that that was the right policy, which was why it was held in such secrecy. There would have been some in Fianna Fáil who felt... We're having meetings with Sinn Féin behind closed doors, secret meetings. No, that's not what we signed up for in Fianna Fáil. There would have been some who, if that peace process had not worked out and there was a high chance it wouldn't, would certainly have been abhorrent of the very idea that we had sold out our values to even talk to these people. So that's always been there. There is a view within Fianna Fáil of some who have a fear of Sinn Féin as well, a fear that they're going to come in and they're going to eat up our vote and that they're going to do to us what they did to the SDLP. Um, I would contend in a lot of cases that parties actually, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because they keep using that as an example and then making the very mistakes that make that possible. But anyway, that's a, a separate ideological argument. But there is this view within Fianna Fáil that this, this can be. So it then becomes down, what, what is the advantage and why look at Fine Gael? Well, you know what? Fine Gael at least is going to be quite like us on tax policy. That's what they're going to say. These, these Fine Gael guys, we know they're going to hold the line on corporate tax. We know they're going to be fairly pro-business. We're good with that. We know they've got a good rural base. We're going to be good with that. Um, we can, between the two of us, keep a rein on the Greens uh, and their, let's say, view of it being somewhat anti-rural. Um, and we can we can talk that up and we'll be both given credit out in rural constituencies for managing to put the reins on the Greens. Um, we'll, uh, as, as a party, we're experienced, both of us in government, so we can handle Brexit 
in normal way. Um, and you know what, we, we, we can work together knowing now that there is this danger from Sinn Féin. And, and it's time that we told the people and these young people and everybody else who's going out voting for Sinn Féin, you need to catch yourselves on. You don't understand what's going on here. And we're going to give you a government now that's going to work. And a view that, of course, if Féin Fáil and Fine Gael, they'd have a solid majority, we could actually build houses and make changes and do things in health. And in five years' time, we'd actually have a really good government having handled things really well. The mood, the rush for Sinn Féin will be gone. And then we'll be all right. We can come back with something different. Um, now, all of that is definitely part of the advantages of this. And it's it's a very safe plan, too. And you can see why Fianna Fáil would find this seductive, because they understand at least and know what they're dealing with in Fianna Gael. They're a little bit less sure of Sinn Féin. And Sinn Féin have a lot of new deputies that Fianna Fáil are looking at, panicking, going, God knows what they might come out with next. And we don't want to be the ones who let them into power to then have, oh God, they were a disaster in power and you guys should never have let them in. Um, neither Fianna Gael or Fianna Fáil want to be the ones blamed at that and that's what they believe and they honestly believe that will happen here um, and that people will be annoyed that, you know, they look at this and say, look, stuff comes out during government of, of problems or, or interference by shadowy figures or there's evidence of malpractice or these guys just are coming up with policies that actually destroy something in our economy, that's a huge risk. We can't take that risk. That's where the positioning is for them right now and in that thinking. Now, let's look at, for Fianna Fáil in particular, what the dangers are, and, and, and some of these affect Fianna Gael too, of, of this grand coalition on the other hand. This is a big decision. You are going back, not just on your word at the last election, but on multiple elections about Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. And the first thing you're going to do here is you are breaking the divide between the two large centrist parties. You are breaking it. And I think once you break something like that, you tend to break it for good. And what you are doing and the danger for Fianna Fáil is they are going to go in with Fine Gael. And this idea of them being the same becomes it was hard to do. When they're in confidence and supply, they really struggled with that over the last couple of years. It will be impossible in a coalition. And Fianna Fáil are going to really struggle in there to keep an identity from Fine Gael. These two parties, particularly with Sinn Féin now as leader of the opposition, pummeling them and pummeling the Greens until they get the Greens to finally give way on something. And then these two parties are left looking on. <laughs> we're facing an election where we're the two parties who stuck with government. Maybe the Greens walked away and now we are together. And we're fighting it together. That's, that's a bit of a nightmare. Because what you're seeing is, if you go down this, whatever happens here, there is a potential for two voting blocks to arise out of this election. Talked about this in the podcast. One was Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin, Greens, so say on one side and Fine Gael, Social Democrats, Labour on another side. Two big voting blocks that could end up out of this election. And people would decide who's the biggest party within those blocks. And sometimes parties would swap blocks, yes, but they would be broad mass blocks of division. 
If the Grand Coalition happens, we are also seeing two blocks, but it will be the likes of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael on one block and Sinn Féin and other parties growing on the other blocks. And as I say, people will say this is a left-right divide, although that will become similar to the Fine Gael-Fianna Fáil position ultimately, where Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael will merge and kind of end up being slightly right and Sinn Féin will be pulled more to the centre, becoming larger, and will then become a new Fianna Fáil. And the reason that's going to happen is you're, you're creating now a division within it that's so easy to paint a picture of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. And here's the biggest danger. These parties are now going to go in. You look at the amount of counties, look at local authority level. How many counties are utterly dominated at local authority level by Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael? Outside of our cities, it's quite striking. Now, you have to have an opposition in politics, always. People will demand an opposition. One of the reasons Fine Gael and Labour government was so unpopular, aside from all the policy things, was a sense that they could do what they like after 2011 because they just had such a large majority. It, people felt, whether it was true or not, it felt like a dictatorship. There was a need for an opposition. At local authority level, if the government lasts through to the local elections, Sinn Féin are going to look at that and say, these guys are in trouble. Now, if you're a Fianna Fáil councillor or indeed a Fine Gael councillor, you've got to be worried today because what they're about to do is going to sacrifice your seat at the local election because there has to be an opposition. You cannot have a council local authority where everyone's gone out and everybody is praising government policy for the county. Everybody's praising what's happening and the money that's been spent and everybody's saying the government's doing a good job for our constituency. It's not going to work. And the councillors are, no, it's not going to work. And they're going to be uneasy about it because they have to toe party line. And what's going to happen here is you're going to have Sinn Féin councillors and other party councillors bouncing up all over the place saying, look, if you want a voice for our local authority in our area, we've got to put in someone. You're now giving a breeding ground of new candidates for opposition parties. And you are going to look at an absolute wipeout in some areas of a huge numbers of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil councillors, because that has to happen. There has to be a rebalancing. You cannot have absolute dominance of government councillors all on one side. Again, confidence and supply maybe you could get away with it a little bit in a coalition no you're the government you're towing the government line and that's going to be one of the real risks because for the short-term gain of keeping Sinn Féin out of power which will be a success and Fianna Fáil and some within Fianna Fáil would certainly celebrate hugely they are going to sacrifice a long-held view particularly at local level of that tension between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. That's going to be a major problem. It's going to be a problem for a lot of their membership. The next thing that's going to happen, particularly for Fianna Fáil specifically in this, Fine Gael are quite comfortable in that they're centre-right. Fianna Fáil have never liked ideologies and they're going to struggle with that more. They're going to be pulled a little bit more to the right and there are some very right-wing people within Fianna Fáil. I know of them, know, know many of them well, they're very good people, but they do believe in right-wing politics. Now, let me tell you a little story, I suppose, here. I, as all of you know, I was involved in Fianna Fáil for, for many years, long since lapsed, shall we say now. But 
I was involved in it. I know what it's like to be in the party. I know what it's like to be in involvement in it. And let me paint you a picture of where my view of, of Fianna Fáil was. Outdated as this is, and, and, and please remember that I'm, when I talk about these things, it's not Fianna Fáil today, it's Fianna Fáil of a bygone time. Um, that, that, so it doesn't all apply. But I came from a family, my father was a truck driver. Um, I'm very much uh, into, he was a truck driver for CIE, and therefore was into the idea of the state company and the good that state companies did as opposed to sometimes private enterprise, but very happy also to see privatisation in certain services and things as well happen. Not opposed to that idea either. Very much centrist, uh, grew up very much centrist, grew up very much Republican, raised on those songs and stories, as they say, uh, of, of, of the august heroes of our nation, raised on the rebel songs raised on a sympathetic view to Northern Ireland. And, and there are many accounts in this. Dick Walsh's book, uh, the, the Party, gives a really great sense of how the Northern question shaped Fianna Fáil for so long. Uh, but you came very much from that nationalist perspective. But you also came very much that this was, and I would have certainly always grown up with the idea of, we are the party of the working class. We are the party of the poor, the small guy. Uh, and that, yeah, but we're practical about it. We're not going mad left wing and implementing stuff that ultimately damages the small guy by us breaking the economy or not having moved. So we'll do lots for business, but at the ultimate aim is the general increase in wealth for everybody. And that's what we were aiming to. That's what I believed. And I would definitely at all times have been slightly left of centre. And I always would have argued that, well, if Fianna Fáil wasn't an option for me, I would probably opt for the Labour Party back in them days because that's where I would have seen a natural home. Fine Gael, too far to the right. And there were many more people similar to me in that vein in Fianna Fáil and, and in rural Fianna Fáil perhaps as well, where it was small farmers as opposed to big farmers. That's the party that Fianna Fáil was. Um, and, and, and it these kind of things, they, they flick a switch in your brain and that's where you think and that's what you see, that's what you identify with. But I, over the years in Fianna Fáil, I met some people who were very much right-wing. Right-wing conservatives, right-wing in, in economics, right-wing in, in their belief on business and finance and everything else. And look, many of them uh, were leading figures in the party too. So there was no doubt that you know, Fianna Fáil always had this problem with trying to keep ideology, but it kept it all together because the ultimate thing we all believed in was pragmatism. And, well, look, you have to make a deal and you have to do the right thing. So even though, yeah, I might like to be a little bit left or a little bit right, ultimately this is the right thing to do now for the people at this moment in time. It's this left-wing policy or this right-wing policy that will be more befitting of things. <clears throat> so... What's going to happen in Fianna Fáil now is that there is a view that they want to go in with Fianna Gael. I believe that probably Fianna Fáil have lost a lot of that left-wing side over the years and over recent years. And one of the problems that face Fianna Fáil now is that they do, of course, there's about 22% uh, of the vote on, on the last election. In the last 10 years, that means Fianna Fáil have lost anywhere up to another 20% of, of the vote. They had another 20% 10 years ago. That's gone. How does that happen and where does that vote go? 
And there's no doubt, but the numbers add up to the sum of it with, because Fine Gael hasn't really changed and the other smaller parties are not really making that big a difference nationally. There's some of it is with independence still, a large bundle of it. So those people have never found a home since in the last decade. And increasingly, there's a number of it now going to Sinn Féin and finding a home there. That is probably your older left-wing Fianna Fáil. And the problem there is that Fianna Fáil is now talking to the remaining 22% of its vote rather than aiming to get back the 20% it lost. It's obsessed with holding on to the bit it has. And that's changed the dynamic within the party. It's changed the dynamic within Fianna Fáil. It's changed the dynamic on social issues, economic issues. And you have Fianna Fáil probably now quite reasonably feeling a lot more comfortable with Fine Gael than talking about left-wing politics and Sinn Féin. But once they make this change, that's going to be a realignment of Fianna Fáil, probably for good. And it probably is going to be that this election will be the last one where you're going to hear Micheál Martin or some Fianna Fáil leader talking about being the party of the working class and the party. I think Fianna Fáil are about to cede that ground for once and for all and go, look, we are the party now, along with Fine Gael, of economic restraint, of responsibility, of good fiscal accounting and all of those kind of things. That's where our future lies. That's where we want to be. We're going to rebrand as that strong and stable, as, as Theresa May might have said. That's where they're going to be, not into radical or big solutions or anything else like that. Those days are gone. And we're going to cede that ground. And they were okay with that because there's a big future in having a central right. And believe you me, there's a market there for that. And there is a market for a combined Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael vote. Uh, and this could be a really progressive government in one way. Um, but, you know, so I don't sign up to the idea that this will be a disaster for the country completely, if it lasts. The other thing that Fianna Fáil are going to discover, though, in here, and Fine Gael too, personalities you know this this is not going to be as easy as it sounds once you get over we've kept Sinn Féin out then you're into right now we're doing government Fianna Fáil people reporting to Fine Gael ministers Fine Gael ministers reporting to Fianna Fáil Taoiseach or vice versa that's not going to go down well and there's about a hundred years of these parties talking about who did the right thing? Who did the wrong thing at different points of history? Was it Cosgrave or Lynch or Hahi or Fitzgerald or Reynolds or Bruton or Hearn? Once those kind of things come up, what's to stop one Fine Gael or one Fianna Fáil person attacking something in the other party's past that's going to really rankle and go, do you know what? Fed up with these guys now um, and their narrative about how history was formed. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, to get through this, are going to have to come to some kind of agreed narrative on their past because these guys don't get on and culturally they're quite different and there's a lot of personalities that are going to clash in there. Uh, it isn't as simple as they're the same party and they'll just get on and, uh, you know, it'll all be fine. And the problem is, though, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because the more you are able to manage that and keep a lid on those differences the more maybe you do start to merge and become one. 
So I think the most likely at the moment is looking like Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, but I'm not going to rule out a road bump being hit in that because not every of the other parties might agree to it. And not all within Fianna Fáil, as that becomes more and more likely, more and more of them are going to be unsure about it. Now, let me quickly deal with this question of, is it okay? And, you know, is Sinn Féin entitled to be on the vote they got? And as I say, no, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael make a perfectly reasonable argument for government on the numbers, on what's there. You have to say they're entitled to it. And Sinn Féin do not have a right just because they got a vote or the larger share of the vote to be in government. Otherwise, Fianna Fáil would have been in government for pretty much most of their history because they always got the largest share. And I've been on that side of an argument where a party gets some kind of a boost and then all of a sudden you're told, oh, they have to be in government. And you're looking, going, no, they don't. You know, our party got far more votes than they did. So, you know, we're entitled to be in. So it makes sense that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael form this government and create something slightly different. Here's the problem, though. Behind those figures and behind that democratic reality, behind the maths of it, is just having the political antenna to know how will people react to it. And the danger is people are going to say, but... I, Fianna Fáil were on the downward slide, Fianna Gael were on the downward slide for both parties. If one or other of them had gone up a few percent, this would be probably a lot easier to manage. With both of them, there is a perception that this isn't what we kind of voted for and this isn't the ultimate aim. Even as polls show now, you know, even if people are kind of okay with the idea of them forming it, once they get in there, media are going to continually ask this question, was this the the government people wanted. Was this what people asked for? If Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael think, well, the media are going to be delighted because they hate Sinn Féin too, they're going to get a nasty surprise that the media don't really care about the backgrounds of any of these. They're just doing their job and that our job is to hold everyone to account and it will be the new government held to account more than anyone else. In the same way as if Sinn Féin were in there, they'd have to get used to the idea they will be held even more to account now because they're in government. This new government is going to then face real, real challenges on that front. And I think my advice would always be if both parties have ended up on a little bit of a downward trend, then you're asking for trouble putting it back in. Because what people have really said is less of us feel happy with Fine Gael than we did before. So, you know, possibly even more will feel unhappy over time. Putting Fine Gael back on the TV screens as ministers is going to have an effect. Not an effect until it happens, but once people see those same ministers back in, it kind of feels, ugh, I, I, I thought we'd something different. And then you put Fianna Fáil on, and people go, ugh, kind of, the whole election began to change after that first debate between Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin, where it just didn't seem to be exciting. You're now going to put that very combination into government. And I think you're going to drive home even more the message that happened during that debate of... There's not much here uh, and it's just not exciting enough to attract us. I think there's going to be a price to be paid for the will of the people is there to be able to say, yes, democratically, you can elect this government. I think you're misreading a mood, a mood and a dangerous mood that's going to say, yeah, I, we really wanted to see Sinn Féin in there. Even if it was for Sinn Féin to fail, we wanted to see them in there and forced to live up to some of those things that they've said and you guys haven't even allowed that and then becomes a mood of what does it take the next time you want even a little bit of change well 
the only option is again to go with Sinn Féin even more so to give that little bit of change. And long term, I think you are giving something much more powerful for the sake of one term. You are sacrificing a lot more terms in the future. And that's what I fear is going to happen here. But I think the view is we're going to go in, we're going to get a government that's going to do really great things and then we'll come out the other side of it and everyone will love us. You know, Fine Gael thought that in 2011 and look where they ended up after nine years. Uh, I don't think problems will be fixed in five years. I don't think things will be easy. Whatever government goes in is going to get a little bit of a kick. I just think it seems to make sense that if you're some parties on the up, we always, there's an old rule, if you're unpopular, surround yourself with popular people. But you do. If you're either Fianna Gael or Fianna Fáil, surround yourself with popular people, not somebody that seems to be a little bit also losing popularity. Get one of these, some of the rising stars. The Greens are on the rise, Sinn Féin are on the rise. Get them in and then their popularity can suffer. And then, okay, you have some rebalancing of things. At the moment, I think it's a risky strategy, but it is definitely the one they're looking at. And it seems to be the one that's most attractive to a lot of Fianna Fáil right now. So let's move on then very quickly to Fine Gael. Not going to spend, we've covered a lot of, of maybe what the, the dangers are of, of the coalition. But Fine Gael are in a really nice position now because for Fine Gael, they're the ones who are caretaker Taoiseach for a while, um, letting things roll on. They've been true to their word. They are said they're happy to lead the opposition. And you know what? They are. Why wouldn't they be? If Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin went in, well, it's great news for Fine Gael. You know, we're the largest party in opposition. Leo is leader of the opposition. And we get to slam these failed policies of Sinn Féin when they inevitably fail to reach any of the targets they set and disillusionment sets in. And then we also hit Fianna Fáil very easily on the whole thing of you brought these guys in, you know, which you are just as shadowy as they are. And yeah, that, that looks great. That's, that's, uh, that suits Fine Gael. On the other hand, um, if we go for a second election... Fine Gael are saying, well, we'll do everything we possibly can to prevent that. And maybe they will. They'll be the party who step in and stop an election. Equally, though, secretly, some in Fine Gael would say, if that proved impossible, even on the same vote, with just a little bit different vote management and better candidate strategy, we're bound to win three or four extra seats. So how bad? We'll come back with a few more. Fianna Fáil, on the other hand, they're probably likely on the exact same vote to lose out a couple more. Um, so all good for Fine Gael there on either of those scenarios, but it's not over yet. Everyone wants them back in government. This was a party that we were told was hugely unpopular, that nobody was liking, that their 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 ratings were plummeting. They had to do a rearguard action to save a few percent at the election. And you know what? Now all of a sudden, everybody wants them in government. Once it's gone past the election, everybody's back for Leo, and Leo, I think, has to be sitting there fairly smug, thinking, look. Fianna Fáil want us, we don't need to go into government, but if Fianna Fáil want us and offer us a good deal, yeah, because we're tempted by it. However, I'm not convinced that runs right throughout Fine Gael, and I've been talking to a lot of Fine Gaelers who are kind of very much at ease with the idea that we're nine years here, and we've given everything we can to sorting out the economy, and this is the thanks we've got, but you know what, we need to rethink something of what we've done. And if we're going to do that, we need to have 
some time in opposition to rebuild and force it on other parties to step up. Why are we always stepping up to the plate? And that's what Fine Gael feel. Now, I think there's going to be a real uh, mood within some in Fine Gael that's going to say, guys, why? Why are we helping Fianna Fáil out here? Fianna Fáil got into this mess themselves. Sure, there's like I think there are some in Fine Gael again who would like government and like ministries and like to be back in and say, yeah, keep Sinn Féin out and that's good. And for some of those, they would also say, you know what, if Fianna Fáil just come in with us, we can actually take them over. We are actually in a little bit of a better position. Fianna Fáil think they're in a better position, but you know what, we, we, we're ideologically better placed. We know what we're about. Fianna Fáil are going to have an awful lot of tearing themselves apart. They're going to have a left-wing vote that they've got there that's going to dissipate and disappear from them. They're ripe for a takeover by Fine Gael. And, and, you know, that's good too for us. We get a whole new block of votes in. Great. So Fine Gael are going to look at this and think, you know, there's a lot of opportunities in being in government. But there's another group going to say, hold on, if we do this, we lose something of our own identity here too. We are now opening the door to Sinn Féin as a big opposition party. Not bad from Fine Gael's point of view. They've always probably long-term seen it being between themselves and Sinn Féin. That's why they're quite comfortable in that space. If Sinn Féin is to be the new Fianna Fáil and come slightly to the centre and become a big party, so be it. It'll be Fine Gael doing the same old traditional dance with this other broad centre-leftish party, Sinn Féin. And they can hack that. And if Sinn Féin ever go into government, Sinn Féin will have to do a few more right-wing things, which make them even more like Fianna Fáil, and the whole dance will begin again. Um, so for Fine Gael, there's a lot there that's attractive, but they will worry about losing councillors. They will worry that they have they have not still restructured enough to be able to say we have a supply of candidates right across the country. They will worry a lot about that. Um, they will worry about going in here and helping out something when maybe a short-term election in a couple of months or a year or whatever would be much better for them. When a period of leading the opposition could see Fine Gael on its own come back really, really strong. That would be perhaps a little bit more attractive. And they might say, look, the danger here is we're going to go into government and what if this government, we, we've seen all the stuff we've tried to do and we've seen we didn't get a reward for it. What if it happens again? What is to say that in five years we're going to, just because Fianna Fáil have come into it, we're suddenly going to have wildly brilliant policies that everyone's going to love. Fine Gael got to look and say, the reality is here, we're going to have fairly much the same. We have to have, that's what we believe. And we're not going to get it all sorted. And we're still going to end up being, even if we sort out housing, there'll be some other new issue. It'll be defence or justice or something else will crop up. There's always something. They know that at this stage. And they're going to say, what if in five years time we're really pulverised for foisting ourselves on them when they kind of said we have had enough of you. And that's the message Fine Gael took from it. Quite rightly, even though they got a solid vote, what they're getting now is their base vote. And when you're reliant on your base vote, that's not really a mandate. You're kind of saying, well, that's what we get because of our structure and our strength and our organisation. But we've no mandate from all the people that are out there, those extra people, and they're the voters you want to get, you have to attract. If we don't attract them, we could lose even a little bit more of our base and get an even worse reaction. So 
I think it's not a done deal within Fine Gael or its Ordesh that or its national conference as it calls it. I don't think it's guaranteed to actually get through. Um I think I think Fine Gael could decide to say we're not comfortable with it. We would rather stay back. Mind you, they will probably follow the leader too and trust what's what's there on it. But the good news for Fine Gael is this is a great position. No matter what result comes out of it, election, opposition, or going to government, I don't think Fine Gael are going to fare too badly out of this. And considering that they had what was considered the worst election of them, that's not a bad position to have found yourself in ultimately. And particularly for Leo Varadkar, who it's now going to seal up his leadership of the party and any doubts that maybe were there suddenly going to evaporate because all of a sudden... Fine Gael are relevant, very relevant, and probably the grown-ups in the situation. Looking at the kids and saying, will you sort yourselves out? Can you sort yourselves out? Okay, we'll come to the rescue if you can't sort yourselves out, even though no one wants us to, and they give out to us when we do it. But you know what? We'll do it, because oh, these kids can't be trusted. Uh, and that's going to be a dynamic that's going to play out. Very interesting to watch in the coming weeks. And now let's touch on the other party that has uh, a real say in government formation, and that's the Green Party. And for me, these guys have not got enough attention um, because these are the key to everything on all sides. And yet they are being taken very much for granted by all sides when it comes to talking about government. And the reason they're taken for granted is that the Greens do need to be in government. We know that. They absolutely need to be in there. This is their moment. This is the time. If they care about the environment and if they want to get to helping Ireland achieve its targets for for 2030 and all those kind of things and and protecting the planet, then they need to be in power and they need to do something about it. Um, But there's a price to be paid and they know that. How do you get to government and how do you get the right government? So the options that they've been faced with for a long time now have been, OK, we're going to go into government. There's probably going to be some opportunity to be. And, and during the election, it was a lot of talk of Fianna Fáil probably having the best opportunity to get Fianna Fáil, Labour, Greens, Social Democrats, whatever in there. Now, that disappeared and that left the Greens unsure. They were already struggling a little bit with that one. But it was possible being pragmatic and if they had other left-wing parties with them, that would work. The election result threw that into doubt. Now, the Greens have benefited a little bit from some of those Sinn Féin votes in a couple of constituencies. They also benefited from the fact that they're, they're popular and people do want them in there to deal with the environmental issues. But here's the thing. At the moment... Everybody's assuming the Greens will just go with that because they've got to get into government. But the Greens have other issues here. Other issues they have to consider really, really deeply because it's about getting into a government that they're actually going to have influence on. And it's about really making sure that those issues are addressed. And number two, it's about their own party and how they're perceived. 2007, when they went into government, they really weren't ready for government, although they said they were. And then the crisis hit, which meant it was a disaster. 
They were lucky to come back from that. And the reason they have is not because of some great party strength or leadership. It's because the environment is such an important issue to people. That's why they're back. And they have to be very careful here that they don't lose out completely or end up being even split as an organisation. Because it could happen. The memories of 2007 have not gone away in terms of how badly this can go wrong. Now, we saw in the election there were people like Sersham McHugh who, you know, didn't want Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael and were, were going openly against government policy. Now, the Greens could overcome that dissent within the party because, look, you can put that down to, yeah, but, you know, if you follow that line of thought, we will never be in government. And if we're never in government, then we're only shouting at the people who are and the planet will be destroyed and nobody's going to be here to record to say, well, you know what, the Greens had a very important protest because, you know what, there'll be no one left. And that's how they see it. So they're going to say, look, the important thing is who did what and who actually saves people and who saves our environment and protects us and actually does something about it. And that's how they could get around that. What's actually transpired now, though, is not just putting either Fianna Gael or Fianna Fáil into power, but putting them both into power? That's a doozy. That's a real surprising one if you've been a Green. I mean, it was one thing asking about one or other of them in power with some other left-wing parties to balance it out. Both of them? I mean, how do you square that circle? And then you've got to remember that this is going to be painted as a centre-right government and you're the only kind of left-wing break on it and you're much smaller than these guys now, even in seat terms. How the hell is that going to work? Plus the fact that you're already being painted that you're not friendly to rural Ireland where both of these parties are going to have loads of rural TDs going, yeah, here's the Greens coming in their sandals and stuff. Yeah, yeah, have to sort them out. How are you going to make progress there? Where's your left-wing allies then on, on, on some of the other things once you get out of environment and once you get into things that the Greens tried to talk about in the election on taxation and on people? How are you going to deal with all that? Because that's not going to be easy. You're going to get told all the time, yeah, well, listen, we're giving you the environmental stuff. You stay out of finances and public contracts and all the other big stuff that's going on. We'll handle that. That's not where the Greens need to be at all. On the other hand, what options do they have? Because that's the only option that's heading towards government. So uh, do they turn around and go, well, okay, then we will not go into government with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael because we don't see that as an option. Now, that would be a momentous move. It would scupper the hope of the Grand Coalition. It would scupper a huge amount of... of uh, the, the momentum behind that but that man would put the greens well then what and the greens have to say a preferred option what what would they prefer would they prefer then to be in with uh Sinn Féin and one of the big parties well they could argue it would give more left-wing impetus but then they're going to have to point out as to why Sinn Féin are better to work with so they're going to have to, if they were to do that, they'd have to cut a deal, some kind of deal with Sinn Féin that would show that it's, it's, it's better or more reasonable for their policies to be with Sinn Féin. That's not going to be easy when you can't even really get talking to Sinn Féin while you're talking to Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. That is going to be so difficult 
for them in the in the coming week to stay aloof from and stay out of. And really, what's getting forgotten about here is their own policies because they're not being seen as the power brokers. They're being seen as the also rounds. How do you how do you get over that right now? So, a major challenge now for the Greens is to really assert some power because if they're going to go into government government's going to be about asserting power you're going to have to threaten to bring down governments to get your way sometimes prove it now threaten to bring down your negotiations have they got the bottle to actually go that far and if they go into an election is there a chance that Sinn Féin do even better and Sinn Féin actually take some of those green seats in a rush to kind of get some so if they were to go into that election, they'd want to be going into it, at least saying, we are a left-wing alternative, keep those left votes over here and your number one vote, and we can form a government with a left-wing alliance, if you like. They'd need to be in that zone, otherwise they could get totally eaten by a rush to the left. How do you manage to keep a lid on all that and still talk about going into government? And I suspect what Eamon Ryan's going to do is say, well, look, the easiest way to do this is just focus on the policy. Who is going to give us the clear things we want as the Green Party? And really nail that down and say, we have to have this, 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 this and this if we're going to support this government. And if the government gives them to them, then, OK, then we go into government and then we have our ministries and we get on with doing our work. It's going to be a lot harder in there. Um there's no guarantee you get all that you, you agreed and the Greens are well aware of that. But that may be their only option here. Focus just continually on the policy. But they are going to be haunted right throughout this by the ghosts of 2007. The ghosts of going in, doing the practical thing. But with both of these parties manoeuvring around them, it's it's just there's there's going to be so much uneasiness in the Greens that's going to say, look... Do you hold out and say we go for more or we need better or we need a different alternative? Would you gamble that if you pulled out of that, could Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael then be forced to talk to Sinn Féin and could you have a more left wing? And again, would it be better? That's the question. So I think Eamon Ryan will focus on what are you actually giving me as regards policy guarantees here? And they're going to have to be really cast iron and might be quite painful. But you know what? This might be the Greens' moment then to really strike hard, to come into these negotiations with a really hard line on policy that says, this is the kind of stuff we want in, and some of it is not going to be popular with your base, but we're going for it. Because if you want our support, you know, this is where the Greens may be looking at Fianna Fáil in the Midlands or wherever else and saying, yeah, but there's some big changes have to happen there and we're going to be fair to them. We want to do X, Y, Z, but you need to book up and get rid of diesel. You need to move on from fossil fuels. You need to come on. And some of that is not going to be popular with your base. But you know what? If you want government so badly and you want the Grand Coalition so badly, suck it up because that's the price of it. Now, have the Greens got the wherewithal to really hold that line are they brave enough to say if you don't give us these really hard line green tar uh, targets we walk away and possibly there's an election and we're fine with that that takes guts and it takes nerves of steel to do because if you get it wrong you'll be blamed and it's tough but this might be the one opportunity they have where they actually do have at the moment, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil over a barrel. Because that is the only hope of it lasting after that, is to extract a high price. Otherwise, 
they're going to be the mudguard and they know in that future government they're the ones that are in the prime position for getting bombed every day because that's what you do to bring down a government you bomb the small party and that's what they're going to do and they're going to be the targets for the next couple of years So that's pretty much it for the parties that are at the business end of things. For the other parties, a couple of things to uh, maybe just note um, that are, are, are worthwhile. Um, first of all, Labour are, of course, going into a leadership battle. Um, that's not going to be easy. Um, but I do think that one of the things Labour have got to face is that they, this is going to be a completely changed landscape for them. Um and it's going to be very difficult to, to, to re-energise the party, but they do have options. I do think that they have to be careful here. Um, Alan Kelly offers a real alternative as leader. He's already going to be in the race. We know that. And that's going to be a really particularly strong uh, individual uh, who does have strong leadership qualities. Uh, but will bring them in a direction much more centrist, I think, than than perhaps others will. On the other hand... What Labour have to consider is what about Dublin? And and for me, um, if Labour go with any options in leadership other than Alan Kelly and Aon O'Riordan, I think they're struggling. Um, because I think Alan Kelly has a lot of the attributes that they need in terms of actually getting attention and getting a fight on. Um, on the other hand, Aon O'Riordan has the ability to reposition them, particularly in Dublin, in their heartland, and he has the ability to recast himself uh, in that more working class uh, voice. But he's got a bit of work to do if he's going to do that. But at least he is in Dublin. Anything outside of Dublin um, that's not Alan Kelly is, to my mind, you're wasting your time. Uh, so there are their options, really, uh, as I see it. But we'll, we may be touching on that leadership battle as it develops. Uh, there are other people like Jed Nash in there. Uh, pushing to try and and uh, get get support, but we'll see. Um, in terms of the other parties, look, everybody else has been a bit of an also run because uh, they're not going to be there at the business end. Uh, Social Democrats talked to Fianna Fáil, but then walked away. Um, understandably, was to be expected. Um, and you know what? There's they they have an opportunity too to grow now, and they would be foolish. To get sucked into something like uh, the Grand Coalition option, which isn't really where their vote has been at or where their their uh, support base has been at. And they haven't been strong enough quite yet to overcome that. So just touching on a couple of items that uh, people have asked me about in, in the last couple of weeks that I think are, are worthwhile. Um, Blair Horan, uh, who, who said to me that, you know, leaving aside the objections on democratic governance grounds, which I share, it's unlikely that coalition with Sinn Féin is possible on climate change and property tax. It is populism, not left-wing change. Uh, Blair, of course, has, has a union background, and I would, I would um, concede to you, Blair, in terms of what is left-wing, um, because you, you'd be much more in tune with that than, than me. But I will say this... Uh, I, my problem with with where they've they've ended up is not so much that there is irreconcilable policy. That's very often the case. It's the fact that I'm not sure you can definitely say that's the case until you've sat down and talked to somebody. 
um you know it's like uh, you, let me put it to you like this you know when i met my wife she was a college with my sister and uh i didn't meet her until they had actually finished college um because when uh, my sister had ever asked my wife what she liked in a guy, she said he had to be taller than her and he'd have to be all of these different things, none of which were me, who was smaller than her and didn't have the same interests and was into politics and she wasn't and we'd nothing in common. Um, yet we met sometime after it's been in college. We chatted, got along very well and all of a sudden here we are married many years later with kids. So... You know, sometimes you don't understand anything about someone until you actually sit down with them. Uh, we can all get into positions where we say, you know, it's irreconcilable. That party would never work with us until you find out are they willing to give. So when you talk about things like climate change, property tax, things like that and saying, you know, that's where we can't meet them. How do you know? Because maybe they're going to say to you, well, OK, that's not a red line for us. We'll give you that. Can we have a bit of this? And suddenly you realize this all works you know this this can be um it can be different um so yeah i i accept the point blair and i i know what you mean by it but i'm not sure um and i know blair also said to me that you know if you talk you should be prepared to find agreement neither ff or fg are for reasons of principle that are correct in my opinion I doubt they would agree anyway on core issues. So to talk would be a cynical exercise. Um, and again, I, I'm going to disagree with you on that, Blair. I don't think it's ever cynical to talk. I think once you say to somebody, you're outside and I don't talk to you, then there's no hope of any agreement. There's no hope of progress. That's just that. Uh, in the same way, I think it's good that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil are willing to talk. You know, the fact that they never talked about it or never entertained the idea was not good. But you know, that doesn't mean you have to find agreement. It just means that you show willingness to actually consider that there might be something here. Uh, I don't think it's ever cynical to say we'll, we'll talk. Um, I think you sit down in good faith and go, it's highly unlikely, but you might surprise me. I think it's okay to be surprised. Um, and then I've Kerr McGonagall said, all early days, more all-round posturing, Sigh, very boring. Uh, the supreme Soviet of all the parties yet to be invoked. Let's face it, they all have our corollas of one sort or another. <clears throat> that's very true, Kieran. Every party has an odd corolla. All parties have a group that's actually running them in the background. And sometimes those groups are not what the membership want. And then ultimately, these things do have to go to party conferences and Ardeshina and members do have their say. So I think that's going to be quite an interesting one in, in the next while as to whether the members do actually go with it. But um, I, I also take the point that sometimes the members go along with the recommendations which do come from small groups within every party. And there are people who rise to influential positions in parties who will always dictate what happens within that party. So, you know, Sinn Féin certainly have it. I think there are people who will dominate Sinn Féin's policy options and, and their, uh, what they are allowed to say and do, despite what maybe public pronouncements might be given. I think there are the same in Fianna Fáil. There are people who are of beliefs in one way or another, and they will decide what's presented to party members one way or another. And the same goes for Fine Gael. So, you know, all parties have that situation and all parties have to face up to it. Uh, Kim Bielenberg, 
Hour said to me, SF and FF could agree a programme for government around public housing. Emphasis on public services rather than tax cuts. Talking shop on a united Ireland on Slauncher Care. Abolition of property and carbon tax could be jettisoned. Problem for FF now is the firm promise not to go in with SF. On the other hand, there is no democratic imperative that SF must be in the government any more than FF or FG, whoever is elected Taoiseach by the Dole, has a mandate. Um, and I think this is, is, is really important here because I, I think Kim hits a nail on the head here that you could agree a programme for government around housing and, and public services and tax cuts. I think there's more than enough there for Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin. What they can't get over is the fact that they gave a promise not to go in and they seem to be much easier to get over the promise on Fine Gael. And I think that's because there's a there's a principal debate at the heart of Fianna Fáil or within that back room, there's somebody that just is determined on whether or not it's Micheál Martin or Michael Martin and a few, or there's others, I don't know. But there's a real nut that cannot be cracked in there that's saying, no, no, never. It cannot even be countenanced. And that's the problem for them, that they're willing. This isn't about, oh, well, we gave our word, because they're going to break their word on the Fine Gael thing anyway. And that's been a much more long-standing issue. But it's about something else. It's about something that really is someone's determined to say, no, I will break this up rather than accept it. Um, and, and, you know, either way, I think this is Fianna Fáil around to a loser here because I think they're losing people either way. Uh, if they go in with Sinn Féin, they lose some right-wing people who are determined that this was never their view of Fianna Fáil. And if they go in with Fine Gael, they're losing an older a cohort of support that saw the history of the party as being determinant of what it stood for and therefore they're going to drift but Fianna Fáil is going to lose something of itself no matter what now uh, would be my view um um so uh, just one other uh, thing I want to touch on because it was interesting too Noel Rock um TD uh, deleted Twitter he wasn't giving up Twitter but he was deleting it from his own phone because he said He's getting a, a, a lot of abuse in the, in the last while about things and messages he didn't like. And, of course, no lost his seat. Uh, just to say to everyone out there, you know, look, TDs do get a tough time. And we've seen this with other celebrities. And, you know, we can talk about laws and we can talk about things that are, are put out there. I'm a big believer, though, that laws are never going to be an answer. Um, I had the situation myself where I was talking to some recently talking about, you know, the, the, the abuse they were taking online and as a politician. And I was saying, well, you know, it's, this abuse is not new. The fact that you're reading it is new. And I think Noel maybe taking a break is, is not doing the worst thing. But I would like Noel to stay on because I think he's a good interactor and, you know, he's a, a, a Liverpool fan. And, you know, it's a good time to be a Liverpool fan. But all of that comes back to this this idea of is it okay and what's okay and what laws do you put in place i'm not convinced that laws ever can answer these questions what we've got to ask is you know everybody should simply have the three-step rule before you tweet or say anything ask yourself is it true is it necessary and is it kind and if you fail on any one of those three then probably don't tweet it. I mean, you at least need to get two of the three over the line. 
So maybe it's not kind, but maybe it is true and maybe it is necessary. And, and okay, then maybe you can do it. Or maybe it's kind and it's true, but it's not necessary. Fair enough, you could go with that. But you need to get two of the three over the line. And I think if we all could obey that simple rule, it would make life much easier. But it would be foolish to think it's all because of social media. 30 years ago, I walked into bars with, with a TD in, in, in Albert Reynolds and I heard horrific things said about him. I heard horrible things said about his family. I know during the 92 election between media and I think there were lots of nasty things said, lots of nasty things said on the campaign trail. The difference is I didn't run back and tell Albert, do you know what they've just said about you? Kept to myself and had my own rows with people. That was it. Now, because of social media, sometimes politicians are reading stuff that in the past would have been kept from them uh, by party workers that people wouldn't say to their face. Um, and that's difficult. But I do think we've got to get in the habit of not reading everything. And then for the rest of us, you know, we just need to ask ourselves those three questions. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? And then if you're failing on two of those three, well, then why? Why are you going to say it? What's the point? What is it actually going to achieve? Because, you know, bullying is not new. It didn't arrive with social media. None of these things are new. This is about how we operate as human beings, as a society, and how we teach kids to grow up with stuff. And it's not switch everything off and stay away from it. It's be kind to each other, spot things and look out for each other. That's how this works. You don't get rid of this stuff. You just stop people actually doing it. And, and I think that's that's really important. Um, so I, I think it was important to say, because I say, Noel just is typified of a number of politicians who have talked about it again recently. Um, other than that, uh, that's pretty much it for the comment section. I have no updates on the newspapers. I will again say to you, I am away this week. I'm going on a holiday. I have had enough of all of the... Uh, talk of governments but i hope to come back refreshed and may even get another podcast out next sunday if we have something to talk about and they actually do something in the week while i'm away let's see but thank you for listening once again thank you for supporting the podcast again i ask you please share it please tell people about it give it a mention give it a tweet uh, I think it's good that we have these longer, more in-depth discussions on it. And, and feel free to contact me at Johnny Fallon. That's at J-O-N-N-Y-F-A-L-L-O-N. Uh, so it's at Johnny Fallon without a H. Um, and I think, you know, have debates. If you disagree with what I'm saying, that's perfectly fine because that's what it's all about. Um, but thank you for listening. Do watch out for the new sub-series looking back at the election starting with 1977. That's coming to you on the 1st of March. We're going to look at what happened in that election, what was the backdrop to it, how it built up and what the outcomes were and how it changed things for us forevermore. And I think that will be an informative series as we get on looking at the elections that we face currently in the modern age and how we're, we're facing things. But thank you for listening again. Thank you for giving me your time. And look, we'll see you all hopefully next Sunday. And who knows, we might even have a government. But if we don't have a government, you can be sure that we will give you the latest updates and details on exactly what's going to happen in the following weeks. Just to say one final thing on it, we're going to see, we'll reevaluate other than the sub-series. 
I don't want to be giving you podcasts every week um, that you know have no news in them so we will see we're going to take this week by week depending on the feedback if people want further podcasts or how often we do this we're all still getting to know it a little bit better but um we'll see and if you do want us and you do want more please let me know and we will do what we can in the coming weeks but be safe be kind most of all look after yourselves and you know what politics at the end of the day whatever happens it's not going to change everything except what you need it to change and what you decide you want it to change because that's where the power does ultimately lie with all of us and by interacting and thinking about these things a little bit more sometimes we can have the biggest influence of all until the next time it's goodbye from me and thank you once again